0: Hi, I'm Mel.
1: And I'm Sas.
0: And we're going to take you away from the play. This week, we had my best friend, Bianca Molnar. Her and I go way back. We played soccer together when we were very little. We went to high school together, played every sport and high school together basketball volleyball soccer small school we made every team not that we're <laughs> that talented but um it was really exciting to speak to her she is the assistant manager at event of events services at ottawa sports and entertainment group she also is an in-game host for various sporting events mainly volleyball volleyball she's done it around the world PM games she was in tokyo at one point so it was really interesting to kind of see what goes behind the scenes of like these huge events.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it was cool to get to know your friend uh, Bianca. And obviously, we recorded this episode uh, way earlier. I think it was sometime in the summer. I don't even remember when, but uh, it was great to learn more about what she does uh, in Ottawa. Uh, kind of like you said, the behind the scenes smell. And then, of course, in game hosting is completely different. So it was great to hear about both those experiences and, you know, while you know she does share uh, a little bit about how sports and different leagues are planning on coming back during this pandemic while it was recorded back in the summer i think a lot of it still holds and it's just very interesting to know the discussions that are going on uh in that respect so you know we hope you enjoy this episode
0: Welcome everyone. So excited for this episode. I have one of my best friends, Bianca Molnar. She is assistant manager of event services. I'm just going to restart. Is it
2: event services?
0: Yeah, event services.
2: It's a really
0: weird title.
2: I think it's changed. I've been there for six years and it's changed four times. So Oh wow! Really? Because okay, you can call me whatever.
0: <laughs> okay, I, I'm gonna restart, but I'm gonna nail it this time. Okay. okay. <laughs> you, do you want to edit this part, or do you want to? No, I
1: actually love this. We're right
0: there, <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, uh, welcome everyone. So excited for this episode. We have Bianca Molnar, one of my best friends. We've known each other pretty much our entire lives. She is assistant manager of event services with OSEGS, the Ottawa Sports Entertainment Group, Um, and basically she coordinates from what I've understood just all the events at TD Place in Ottawa. Bianca, thank you so much for joining us.
2: I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for
0: having me. No problem. Um, First question, real tough one, is just how are you holding up during this pandemic? (laughs)
2: I'm actually doing okay. Um, surprisingly enough, I know our industry, the sporting industry in general, has taken a hard hit during this COVID nineteen stuff. Um, but my organization is one of the few that were fortunate enough to be able to keep all of their employees. So, with that being said, um, we're you know finding work and doing stuff um, on our to do list over the last six years that was just kind of put on the back burner, and now we're getting to revisit some of this stuff. So. The organization is only about six years old um, and we had to get things going really quickly uh, when it started up. So we were kind of able to do a bit of a catch up and now we're trying to be as creative as possible during this time since we can't host events in our building to host events either online um, through zoom. And for instance, tomorrow I have to host a trivia night and uh, we've done events in the community. So I'm not doing the job that I typically would be doing. As you mentioned, I do help run events, but, uh, you know, it's work. And uh, for the most part, our organization has done a really good job at staying positive and keeping us busy. So I'm not doing too bad, which I'm super thankful
1: for. I'm really glad to hear that you guys have been able to keep a lot of your employees on board. And I'm super curious about what you've been up to and how you've adapted during this pandemic. Because like you said, working in sports, there's so much that we can't do right now. Um, But before we get into that, so Mel mentioned twice that you are the assistant manager of event services (laughs) at OSEG and much love Mel. First one didn't count. (laughs) I thought it was great, (laughs) but uh, I was wondering if you could tell our our audience, you know, what exactly does that mean? Yeah. So um, that's
2: my full-time job at the venue. So uh, the Ottawa sports entertainment group owns two professional sport teams right now. There's the Ottawa 67s, which is the OHL team. And then there's the Ottawa Red Blacks, which is the CFL team in Ottawa. Um, We run our events at TD Place, which is a 24,000-person stadium and a 10,000-person arena. Um, So on top of hosting both of those sports teams' home games at that venue, we host concerts and other events and have arena and stadium rentals as well. Um, So my department... uh, essentially runs the fan side of the experience of any and all of these events that go through the building. Um, So we do stuff like customer service, um, managing the flow of people in the building, making sure their in-seat experience is exciting, that um, the communication they get prior to the event um, was enough to inform them. Um, We deal with problems on the fly during the event. Um, So basically anything from A to Z, from the planning of the event to the execution to the post-reporting that entails anything that would touch a fan's experience in our building. Um, So I've been doing that for six years now. And um, the job kind of varies based off event um, and where the event is. So our building has, like I said, an arena and a stadium. um, And we also host Two other types of sports at the moment, we have a basketball team that just arrived in Ottawa that rents our building for their home games, um, part of the CBL League, and as well as a soccer team um, that will be starting up next season. So, um, yeah, I basically run events in the building and kind of position ourselves from a fan's perspective to make sure everything goes as smoothly as possible for our fans
0: many hats Bianca this is why I have such a hard time understanding <laughs> what you do okay yeah, well, you- I'm just curious <laughs> I was just saying say I'm curious because like you have a basketball team that's going to be like renting um, TD Place as their home venue like so when they kind of rent the venue does that mean they've inadvertently hired you as well do you know what I yeah. mean Yeah, absolutely. So the
2: basketball team and the soccer team are both our renters for their home games this coming season. Neither of them has actually started. They were supposed to start literally as COVID started. Um, But what that entails is essentially each team is managed um, on their own in terms of their marketing and their sales um, and their kind of uh, operational side of their teams. However, when they uh, use our venue and rent out our building for those games, part of our contract is they utilize the staff that run the building and run the events so they don't have to worry about that. So all they're worried about on a game day experience is the tickets selling type of tasks as well as the just performance and management of the team itself. Um, during okay. the game and like the advertisement and the social media. So anything that's related to operation of the building, um, OSEG will take over um, just because we're obviously more knowledgeable of the building. We already have staff that run other events. So that's part of the contracts that we have with both the basketball team and the soccer team. So just like you said, I, I would be running those events um, once okay. they start up again.
0: Yeah. Okay. So obviously like uh, as a fan, you are touching so many as like physical aspects of of the stadium. Like, you know, they're arriving on game day, they gotta find parking, then they gotta find their gate, then they gotta find their tickets, and, you know, they might go get popcorn and like I don't and they might use the washroom. And then they might wanna go like buy merch. So like, do you coordinate all those sort of departments or like Or is it really more fan experience in the sense of like, are they entertained? (laughs) So
2: it's interesting that you asked that question because um, there's other departments that control different areas of an event. So for instance, we have a food and beverage department. They coordinate the operational side of what food's going to be sold, price levels, like how the lines work and stuff like that. Merch does the same thing. They're in charge of like, you know, designing the merch, what's going to be sold, how much stock comes in, uh, the box office, there's the department on its own that does, you know, how they're going to sell, what the tickets look like, uh, how it's noted on the, on the ticket, what the ticket, uh, how it gets sent out and stuff like that. But because all of those departments influence the fans experience, we're kind of a department that acts as a consulting group, which we kind of like to refer to ourselves as, because if, we we basically our job is to put ourselves in the fan's position and then gather all this information on how they're going to do stuff and we could either give them feedback or kind of make a prediction on whether or not we think that that's going to work from a fan's perspective um, or how it's going to work in the flow of the event. So for instance, if a merch de- if the merch department comes up to us and says we want to add another merch stand because our demand is high and they. They give us a location of where they want to put that merch. We can let them know that that location is not going to be at, like is not going to be ideal because flow of traffic in that area is not going to work that we know that the, our food and beverage company is already expanding that area because they want more people to come in um, and order drinks through that area. So we understand kind of the bigger picture of the event from a fan's perspective. And we help um, consult other departments on whether or not we think what they're doing is going to work and even give them suggestions on how to improve or just make note of what isn't working during an event so that they can go back and find solutions. So um, we kind of oversee things um, indirectly, I guess, um, just because we're so in tune with our fans and We control our our fan info lines, which is like we have a text line, a phone line, and an email line where fans give us feedback. They're always giving us feedback through surveys and stuff that come in post events. We get phone calls from fans before events. So we really take pride in ourselves at understanding the full picture of the event. And realistically, on an event day, all of these departments affect the fans' experience. So we have to be literally aware of every single thing that's going on in the building from every angle of every department during an event
1: that's crazy there's just so much work that goes into it that not necessarily a fan would not know of because they're the ones experiencing it and when it's done well it's so fluid that they just kind of leave and and they feel good about their experience, of course, if they're a team one, that would right. probably affect that, but you can't control that. So. Right. You made a great point
2: is that our role is to make sure that the fan doesn't even realize that there's all this commotion going on in the background. If they don't realize it, then we've done our job correctly. And like that's a successful event to us is when no fan takes note of anything else that went on around them other than the product that was presented to them on the court, on the field, on the ice.
1: Yeah, that's it. And I in my experience working in sports as well, like I can tell I I didn't work in, in that department. I was more on the communication side of things. But I had colleagues who were in charge of that. So I know I've seen at least from from some distance the amount of work that goes into like breaking it down into like every single aspect and making sure that everything's taken care of. My question for you is, you know, given that there are different sports uh, that you that, that come and play in your building. So if you have football you had hockey, uh, now you have base uh, basketball, sorry, and and soccer. How does you know you're you're attracting different fan bases for sure? I'm sure there's there's some overlap, right? Um, yeah. But these are different fan bases. So how does your approach change, and and how do you kind of, I guess, analyze those ba- fan bases in order to make sure that you're you're giving them you know the appropriate and like the right experience? That's actually an awesome question. Through
2: basically a lot of research and attending other events in our sports industry that we can observe and view. I think our best um, asset before we kind of even started opening the building was that a lot of staff were given the opportunity to go watch and not only understand the sport, but understand how crowds in those sporting environments interact. So for instance, the first basketball event we ever hosted in our building was this Pat's March, I believe yeah, in March it was a tournament um and we were not familiar with with basketball fans. We had never hosted a basketball game before, so this was a really new experience for us, and it was an ideal one because we knew we were going to be hosting a basketball team the entire rest of the summer for their home games um so research wise um because it's in the same building as our hockey team plays, just uh, no ice, obviously um we usually take that model of like what a hockey. We took that model of what a hockey game looks like, and then tried to figure out what one apply for a basketball game. Um, so, for instance, in hockey, people are super strict um, by going to their seat only when there's a like there's a timeout in the game or there's like a dead zone. So, when the whistle blows and the play is done, basically, people go to their seats. Well, in basketball, it's a bit more of a free flow. So, um, we had to understand how people are going to interact in their seats and what the dynamic is in the concourse Um, and just what the atmosphere is like. So by going to other basketball games, which um, our department actually went on a road trip this past year and the year before and went to different venues in the U S and in Canada that had hockey teams that had basketball teams um, just to see how they set themselves up and what their fans how they just act and behave in the environment that they are um, just so we could take little notes like that and apply it to us. But it just takes a lot of research and understanding the type of people that are going to come into the building, um, how the game is viewed. Is 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 it a sport where fans are literally sitting in their seats the whole time and there's very little movement or is it a sport where fans are jumping up and down and no one's really paying attention to the game and they're really just excited to be part of the environment? which is kind of like our football games. So Mm -hmm. um, a lot of just analysis and understanding um, the sport itself and the type of fans that are attracted to the building and then kind of adjusting what's around them and the services that we offer so that it enhances their experience. So a lot of just research and a bit of trial and error, if I'm being honest. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's so much research that goes into it and data, but I like what you talked about um, going to other venues and seeing how they do it. I think there's so much value in seeing how other teams operate and function. And it's not necessarily something that came intuitively to me because in my mind, I'm like, OK, well, some of these teams are competitors. You know, there are competition, But at the same time, I think there's such great value uh, in seeing how other other venues do it. I don't know if that's something that you have the time or the privilege to do uh, regularly, or is it something that uh, you 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 and like your team kind of uh, prioritize in doing?
2: So we try and prioritize it uh, to a certain extent. Like we make uh, we take it as our professional development. Like if you're in this industry, mm-hmm. especially when you're starting, <laughs> it's because you love it. So you want to learn, um, and we're a We're kind of a brand new organization and everyone's absorbing everything like a sponge right now so we knew our best asset was to go around and go to places where they're super successful and they know what's going on already um so our organization was very good at making time for all of us to kind of learn from different people um but then we get the same thing in return we have people that come to us after and want to know how we run things and that's kind of cool about the industry is although there's there is competition everyone's so willing to learn from each other and the beauty about this as well is if you're a sports fan you go to games typically anyways so whether if I go to like typically our family goes to see Sabres games in the winter time or to I don't know different football games and soccer games like if you're a sports addict you're going to go watch other events and you just naturally take note of things like the amount of times the organi- like people within the group will be like I was just watching you know this game and I was there and here's what I made note of like because our job is to put on an event now I find myself for the last six years every time I go to an event I'm analyzing everything around me like I feel like I'm almost at work being like ooh that's a good idea ooh we do that better okay yeah they did that really well ooh I'm gonna bring that back and maybe we can do that <laughs> like my brain's just always going when I go to an event because I'm trying to absorb the whole atmosphere and figure out like can we improve anything or are we doing it better? Maybe my experience was total garbage and I should be giving them tips, but it's just funny how your brain
0: works now when I go to these events. For sure. I mean, you, you look through, you look through a different lens now and I think it's great. Cause like, There's no sense in like reinventing the wheel, as you say, because like other people have had success, but there's always ways to improve. And like as a whole industry, you're always striving to become a little bit better. But, you know, I think being collaborative, that sense is is really I mean, I think it's the best way to do it, because like it's it's a big part of fan experience we've always argued about this or like took this point it's like why women's sports aren't really successful and you know I'm always like well it comes down to investments I was like so many people go to Habs games not because they want to watch the Habs yes they want to watch the Habs but they want to experience what sports is and and so much of that is really what you and your team do Bianca like when um las vegas started like i would watch your games on tv i'm like i just want to go for like that opening show with like (laughs) the night and stuff i'm like this shit is fire
2: we were literally just in a seminar i was in a seminar yesterday and it talked about sports needs to sports is becoming to a point where people are not going to remember the score or what went on they're going to remember like the people there who gave them an experience or yeah. like we have, there's only so much when you go to an event that can be controlled. And the things that we can control, we need to make sure are top-notch because you can't control what's on the field. So that's going to be the yeah. difference maker. If you have a losing team, which are Red Blacks, we're a losing team this year. And yet we mm-hmm. still had 20,000 people in the stands coming. And 50% of them had no idea whether they won or lost walking out of that building. And it's because... <laughs> You need to find a different angle nowadays with sports where, you know, the atmosphere can be just as exciting mm-hmm. as the product on the field because you can't guarantee that that product is always going to be top-notch.
1: Yeah, so, and there's, there's different, like, details. Like, it's all in the little details at the end of the day, too. It's in the very small gestures that I think that you can do for fans. Like, I remember just, like, based on what you were saying, I just had this random memory of this. Um, we did, like, fan experiences at the at Bell, where some some fans would come downstairs and meet a player and get get a uh, merch sign and take a photo and whatever it's a meet and greet we got we got wrecked five nothing that day and this family comes down and they're like you know what we lost but this was such a great experience and I was like wow I was like this is this is huge because usually I'm I'm kind of more used to seeing fans be disgruntled or whatnot. That's all that you see usually. But the, this this group in particular was like, you know, we lost five nothing, but we had such a fun experience. So I just, yeah, just adding on to what you were saying. I think it's so true that you kind of have to look outside the box and go into, yeah, go into making that fan experience better than well, than and yourself. and the thing is too is like you you
0: can experience the game via other mediums now. Like you could just watch it on TV. Yeah. Why do you need to watch it live? It's for the experience, right? So Bianca, I guess my question was like, so you know, venues and teams will often have like specialty nights, like whiteouts. And I know at one point I went to visit you in Ottawa and you you had ordered like these kind of throw towels for you know, that had like Ottawa sixty seven on it and like is that part of your job or is that part of like marketing job and like how do you coordinate a game where fans are kind of like receiving um sort of memorabilia or something and is this something you coordinate differently for for like a cfl game versus a 67 game yeah so the
2: idea will typically come from the marketing department they're more of like the creative Side of things, okay. and we're typically the execution side of things. So, um, if they come up with this idea, they'll run it through us to be like, Hey, we want to give out, let's say it's 24,000 towels. Do you think that's going to work? And we'll tell them, Well, yes or no. And we'll give them, like, we're the logistics side of things. So, anyone yeah. in the building could come up with all these ideas. But at the end of the day, there's a few of us, like our department and then the actual operations department um, that will. able to determine whether or not some of these special items or special um added bonuses for fans that are coming into the building that game or that game or those experiences will be doable um on a game for that game or maybe it's something that they're bringing up that's going to be you know forever going every sunday or every time you know for every game so we typically don't come up with the ideas will be the ones to decide if it's one doable and then how we're going to execute it so for instance when we were handing out those towels we didn't order them we weren't the ones designing them but we were the ones receiving all of them organizing them to be distributed and then doing the distributing ourselves okay so there's things that (laughs) yeah and uh like, uh, our department, uh, every department I touched on, like box office merch, uh, there's an operations department. There's a production department that sits upstairs. There's the marketing department, the sponsorship department, the, um, I'm missing view parking. There's a parking department. There's a security department. So all of them have their own staff and hire their own staff for, for games. Um, but our department, because it, encompasses kind of dealing with all these fans. We have one of the biggest departments in terms of part-time staff because the building is so big and we have to spread ourselves out to usher and to to, ticket, to, to be the ones to do the ticket-taking and to help fans out whenever needed. So we do deal with a lot of staff and we also deal with volunteers as well. So um, I would say um, in terms of those specialty nights, we'll again consult to make sure that what they're thinking of doing um, is doable. And then we help with the planning on how you're going to do it, who's going to do it
0: um, and organize it for them that way. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. And I, I you know, I'm glad you brought it up because I was telling Safia like you guys employ so many people <laughs> and like, you know, they're all part-timers. Like how is it hard coordinating that? And are you in charge of scheduling as well? Or is that just like a subdivision of your, your department? So
2: that is a subdivision of our department. That was actually my first job within the organization. It was the scheduling and the training coordinator for this department. But then I um, eventually kind of moved my way up a little bit. And now I have a staff that works for me who does uh, the scheduling and the training for our part time staff. And for our department, for I would say a, a large scale event like a football game, we have anywhere from like 120 to 180 staff that work just from our department part time. Um, and then there's other departments that have, like Merch typically has 40 part-time staff. Security will have about the same amount as us, maybe even a bit, a bit more. Um, another big department would be Food and Beverage, who um, staff all the concessions and the bars and the suites. That's about, I think they have 400 staff during an event day um, for a football game. So lots of different part-time staff. Um Scheduling though, uh, from experience, is a bit um, just. It's interesting uh, once you get the hang of it. Of course, like any job, it becomes pretty simple. Um, but our pool of staff is small enough to be able to know everyone on an individual basis, which makes it a lot easier. So for our staff, they typically know whether they're going to be ushers for the game or whether going whether they're going to be scanning tickets, um, and some prefer to do only one rather than the other so we try and make everyone happy Um, and the nice thing about our department is there's a lot of fan interaction so we kind of have to hire people who are outgoing um, can hold a conversation are kind of problem solvers so we're particular in who we hire because you're always talking to fans Um, so the staff that we have are great because they like to be around people Um, they know that this is just their part-time fun job so they're excited to be there and that's the type of, you know, job that we promote, um, when it comes to hiring our staff. Um, so it is a big difficult to manage because we take pride in making sure that staff are working in a position that they want to be in because they have to deal with people all the time. And they're not always, they don't always have the nicest things to say to our staff sometimes, but, um, (laughs) for the most part, um, scheduling and coordinating in the large venues, uh, can be difficult, but, once you find a staff that knows what they're doing and tells you flat out, hey, I really like this VOM. Perfect. You're there for the rest of the season. Like, we just make notes of that. Yeah. So it becomes easy to yeah. know that, that, I don't know, that Tiffany's in VOM B for the rest of the season because all the fans <laughs> know her too. So it becomes kind of that fan experience where we know that if you have season ticket holders in a certain area and they get to see the same person over and over again the fans build a yeah. trust with that staff in that bomb. So the staff feels more comfortable knowing that they're going to see those same people every game. And it becomes kind of um, just in, an enhancement to that experience. Like we have staff that know when it's people's first games, when they're bringing a special someone, when there's an occasion happening, because they've gotten to know the fans in their section super well. And that's something we encourage fans like our staff to do is to get to know the fans. So it adds that extra level of experience. Um, which again, making it feel like helped. family. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that was kind of, I'm super lucky. I learned, I got hired from my bosses, um, Anne-Marie Vidnev, and she worked in the hotel industry. So her philosophy from the get-go was to create that personal experience that when you come into our building, you feel like you're like walking into someone's house. So that sounds kind of weird thinking that that's an approach for a sports venue, but it is good to feel like welcomed and to feel like you're comfortable in that big of a stadium with that many people around you. So I thought there was in the end, a very kind of genius approach to this, because that's not typically what you would think you would feel like walking into a sports venue. So been very lucky in that sense that we've developed a way to hire the right people to put them in the right positions, which all these
1: little details, as you say, really help enhance people's experience at the game. You mentioned that you started out as a, uh, a scheduling and training coordinator. And I'm just really curious to know, how did you get into this in this field? Like, how did you get your start? I know like Mel told me off air that uh, you had an internship and that's kind of how things went from from then on.
2: Yeah, it was um, my network, my connections, actually. Um the actually Mel and I had, Mel. I don't know if you were in our anatomy class in high school with Mr. Desjardins. Did you take that class? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we had a class in high school and actually that teacher was kind of the one that pushed me to, um, to go to, uh, the University of Ottawa, which is where I did my degree in human kinetics. Um, and then the fourth year of that program, you need to do an internship. So when I told him, I came back to visit uh, one day in the high school and I said I was looking for an internship and he told me that his brother was bringing this new football team to Ottawa, which um, ends up being Marcel Desjardins, who is the general manager of our Red Blacks team. So his brother was becoming the GM of this new CFL football team. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I sent my resume in and through the GM of our Red Blacks, I ended up getting an internship that year. Um, That was only supposed to last, I think, five months uh, to be able to get a credit. But I just pretended that it was supposed to last till university was over because I knew how good of an experience it was. So I just kept volunteering my time. I was supposed to be done in like beginning of March. And I just kept going because I'm like, I can't. This was a brand new organization, a brand new football team. They were redoing not just a building, but an entire site around the building um, in Ottawa, so there was a lot of um a lot of hype about this new organization in this new stadium and the things that were going to be happening around the stadium. So I kept going, uh, kept doing my internship. But they needed someone part time at the front, so I just you know worked my way up. And then next thing I know, I'm going to job fairs because I'm one of the only people that speaks French there, and they wanted someone who spoke French to go talk to students at the university. Um, to promote that, we will be looking for part-time staff to help run these events, and uh, that's how I met my boss. She had just gotten hired as, at that time, was um, the director of guest relations. So she met me. We bonded, and then next thing I know, I'm sitting for. An interview to take on her scheduling and training position so the scheduling position was to obviously schedule the staff from our department but also to train them prior to actually working to make sure that like that they knew what they were doing and to follow up with them throughout the year so yeah funny how the world is so small sometimes and you make the right connections and you're at the right place at the right time and yeah just very lucky and fortunate in that sense
0: what's sort of the long-term plan now with uh, the COVID and obviously with social distancing, it's going to be different how we approach sports and how fans interact with, with sports in general. So yeah. is there like some plans for implementing um, the social distancing measures when things reopen?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So based off the, um like we were talking about earlier, um, off the record, I had said that our venue and a lot of the sports industries right now, we're kind of coming together and sharing information and sharing how they were planning on doing things and executing once this, all's, once this all, once it's all open. So the nice thing, the silver lining about this whole COVID thing is all the connections we're making and trying to make sure that we as an industry are doing as best as we can to, to get back on our feet and to come out, uh, super strong. And we know how much fans and just the society in general is missing having events and missing sports in their lives right now. Um, So in terms of kind of how we're planning on moving forward, I would say for the most part, it's looking like majority of venues are looking at two types of stages. Um, One of the stages is having fans in the building. Um, I'm talking about like, if we were going to let fans of the building, obviously there's a big possibility that some, um, I guess some, not necessarily organizations, but some leagues won't allow fans into these buildings. And that's like a whole different ball game. But once society gets back to, you know, being able to attend these events, um, for the first little bit, there will probably be some restrictions like keeping six feet apart is definitely a concern. Um, how many fans will be in the building is definitely going to be something that gets restricted. Seating wise itself, like you'll have fans separated. So maybe not every row is being used and only a certain amount of seats in those rows are being used. Um, Seats will be sold in more so groups so that you'll just don't have individual people taking up seats. So there's a lot of talk yeah exactly and then more sticking towards the rows, so it's easier access and so you're not crossing over random people to get to your seat so there's a lot of thought and going into a lot of different seating plans that we've seen um to try and keep and a lot of this is social distancing and sanitization so probably moving forward um you'll see hand sanitizers everywhere a lot of things in the venues won't be touch related so washroom dorms will be you know censored so it opens on its own sinks will be mm-hmm. censored like anything that you think of that you would touch will no longer yeah. be a thing same thing with like condiment stations. so it won't be like huge changes um yeah but things that you'll notice that are either not there anymore or they're just done in a different way um a lot of stadiums are talking about limiting traffic flow so when you get into the building, it's like you're on the street. So you're walking one way in this lane, or if you're walking the other way, you're in that lane, just so there's no crisscrossing and bumping into people. So yeah. there's talks about doing stuff like that. Um, we're at the stage now where we're observing places that are open to see how all these are, how all this is going, because we haven't had yeah. enough places try this out yet. So a lot of this is just planning and to see how it goes. And then the, the, the last stage is kind of the one we're, we're assuming is going to be what takes place even after COVID might be over, but stuff that you're going to keep kind of like when 9-11 happened. Um, and I use this mm-hmm. as an example because before 9-11, you weren't getting, you weren't going through a metal detector to get into buildings that was put yeah. into place after it. And to this day, we still use those. So we're looking at this long-term and in, in a sense of what kind of things are we going to use forever after this is all over that'll be sustainable to us that we'll keep doing and it'll just be a way to make the public feel safe in our building even after all this blows over um which would be a good idea to keep so like having extra hand sanitizers obviously would be a good thing um having things that are less you know like i said everything is more interactive in terms of not having to touch a sink tap to let the water run stuff like that and also the whole technology thing is really utilizing, like, how can we make people have less people waiting in lines? So yeah. a lot of them might be turning over to, you know, having more stadium, will have apps so that stuff gets served to your seat more often. Or it'll be a pickup True. so you can order online through the app and then you just go there, pick it up, and then off you go. So there's less line waiting. So yeah, the industry like- is looking at... I'd
0: say like Uber Eats inside the stadium.
2: (laughs) Yeah, basically, exactly. And we're trying to find ways for our own staff to be safe too. So the whole ticket scanning thing, like right now we have staff that stand at the gate and scan your ticket. Well, it'll probably move on to, you know, scanners that are stationary and like machines and our staff are just watching them do that to make sure nothing happens. So just little things like that are being talked about. But again, we're in such an early phase of not really knowing where yeah. when stuff can start up again that we're playing kind of a waiting game but it looks promising there are leagues around the world that have started up again, some without fans um I was talking to you earlier about New Zealand which was really excited they were COVID free for three weeks hosted their first home game um and have had zero cases within that venue so you know the world is making progress and um it's exciting to see that we're all communicating to make sure that you know come out of this okay
0: yeah and so much is just going to depend on like how the rest of society is is reacting and you know we've just opened up in montreal um obviously with still limited restrictions but it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens with uh case count daily case count in the next three weeks has there been an increase or is you know the way we're currently going about things with the social distancing enough to to you know keep the economy open, keep people social, but also safe. So
1: I think yeah. it, we're just gonna have to. It's gonna tail end uh, to what society's doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Earlier today, I was watching an Instagram live. Uh, it was Black Girl Hockey Club's uh, Renee Heff, and she was interviewing the assistant GM at PNC Arena for Carolina Hurricanes, Larry Perkins. And they're kind of talking about sports management and, you know, he, uh, similarly to you from what I understood, to some extent, he kind of oversees like the fan experience. And he said something really interesting, you know, how the fan experience maybe 20 years ago was just go to the arena or the stadium, you watch the game and you leave. And now sports venues aren't just... For the game it's 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 about the experience it's about the destination and he compared it to an airport in that sense because a lot of these venues have boutiques and restaurants and it's so massive and expansive so I just want to pick your brain just a little bit about that um, you know since you started working in in the sports industry you know have you noticed any changes in how you or your team deliver that experience to the fans and and has it evolved has it changed are there practices that you guys have adopted or abandoned and of course I think with COVID that's you know it's kind of going to push you into maybe a different direction than what you had maybe envisioned at the start of the year yeah no the from the get-go um I'll talk about football specifically
2: right now as the example um we have two sides of the building for a football stadium. We have the north and the south side, and the two are totally different, and here's why. The south side of the building, I would say, is the, the newer generation of fans who go there specifically for the experience. So they're the ones that don't really care what the scores when they leave. They're there for a good time. The seating is so different. There's seating 10 rows, and then there's an open concourse for standing room, so people could hang out and watch the game. Um, it's a lot more open concept. So in the building, it's funny, you'll see empty seats in places at times and we're sold out, but that's because, you know, everyone's standing around and they like that side of the building because of the standing room. Um, We have, we've opened a lot more spaces in the building because that style of watching the game has become so popular, the more casual and social part of the event um, that a lot of our suites and our group settings are just open spaces without seats. So people can mingle and there happens to be a football game going on in the background of their mingling. So, um, I would say that like half our building is designed that way, which is where sports seems to be kind of going in that direction. And then the North side, which is literally just, I run the stairs on the North side as training. So I'm trying to count how many steps there are in my head. And there's about (laughs) 150 steps going up, I believe. So that many, like divided by two, I would say like 70 rows of seats on that side of just seats. So all of those fans typically are the ones that were around when football was in Ottawa years ago and then came back and they're the diehards that literally
0: sit in their seat and that is all. So, yeah, they're watching the game. They're watching the exactly. game. They're,
2: the, they're watching the game. They know every play. They know who did what. They're tracking everything. And that's the way they like to view the game. So I find it super interesting that in our building, we encompass those two ways of enjoying a sports game because um, no matter how we evolve, you're always going to have the diehard fans that just are there for the sports. For literally the game. They don't care what food's being sold. They don't care what's going on around them. They don't care what handout you're giving to them when they walk in. They literally just want to see the product on the field. Yeah. And then you have those that, you know, take it as a night out, Um, take, it could be a pre-drink. It could be like a first date. It could be a business meeting. It could be all these other things. And you happen to be going to a football game to enjoy your social hours. So. I would say since we've been there, I hadn't recognized until that point how we were evolving in the direction of sport being way more than just the product on the field. But like you said, the entire um, experience around it um, has become so important. And and that what seems to be driving a lot more people to these events um, and creating new fans. So we have a lot more football fans in the city now. Um, just because they enjoy coming to the games and using it as their social hour. hour. If you ask them stats about the game, they probably wouldn't have a clue. But now they call themselves football fans because they love coming to our games. Um, So I would say that catering to both styles um, of fans is huge for some sports, especially when the sport is trying to evolve in a direction. So to answer your question, I would say, it's, it's evolving more. And you could tell by just the new designs of the stadiums, a lot of stadiums now, whether it be an arena, whether it be an outside stadium are designed to have open concept spaces, where you pay for a ticket to just stand around. So that open Mm -hmm. concept space has become more of a social gathering area, um, rather than a sit in your seat and just, you know, watch it there, you're around people, there's, uh, you're around way more people. Um, It's more, uh, it's, Yeah, it's just more of an open setting, and a lot of the stadiums now are being designed to have that. So I think that's just the direction that a lot of sports are going in, is taking advantage of the fact that we can control what goes on around what's the product that's being presented. And, of course, the reason why people are buying the ticket is for that product. But there's so much more that we can control, and if what we can control drives even more people to come watch the event, then that's a win. So I would say, yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, studies and stuff that go into examining just how this new kind of age of watching sports has developed so that we can cater to that. um, And, you know, ensure kind of both sides are having a good time.
0: Yeah, because I mean, you're basically just massaging you're massaging the product that is sports. You know, the, the sports is going to be, the game's going to be what it is. And then you just want to massage it to make it a little bit better. And like, I mean, we did it. We went to Chicago. We're like, let's go to a Cubs game. It, people go to sports events because it's a thing to do too. You know, you're exploring yeah. a new city. We're like, okay, let's check out, you know, a game. Everyone likes baseball I mean, whatever. <laughs> right.
2: And so. then like there's sports that don't need that right now. Like I like to use, for instance, tennis. You would never find all of that commotion at a tennis match. That's just not the way the sport is. And I don't know if it'll ever get to that. But now if you look at golf, for instance, the last hole sometimes is a party hole. And golfers are really enjoying that. Yeah, the 18th hole now is more of a social thing. And there's a crowd and then there's noise. And some of the, the bigger tournaments have that 18th hole as like, a totally different environment than what they've been used to that whole round and golfers have actually been surprised at how much they like that like people are cheering for them it's not quiet and it's just something different
0: I think like the tennis and golf just comes from like a historical cultural thing you know what I mean they were the more prestige sports we don't want rowdy people
2: (laughs) correct and I think those will take a while to break do I think down the road that'll get broken Yes. I do. I really do. Um, I think it will totally take time, but even athletes, for instance, the golfers are surprised at how much they enjoy that hole. They look forward to that hole because of (laughs) the environment, which is you wouldn't have, like, if you ask any golfer, like a retired golfer, they'd be like, that's nonsense. I would have never blah, blah, blah. But the golfers now are like, "Hmm, that's not bad. I like, I like that I'm getting cheered for. It's a bit noisy, but I can still concentrate. There's I still feel the pressure, but I'm in my yeah. own zone. And then I get this
0: big roar and like it's different. I mean, and it drives. I mean, as an athlete, like a crowd can drive a lot of 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 your own energy. I mean, and not necessarily always in a very positive or negative way, because sometimes you don't know what they're shouting, but you're like, okay, everyone is like amped up in this in this. Uh, I want to say like rink but whatever the environment might be like everyone's amped up you're you're just inadvertently a little bit more ready to go Um, so yes I, I mean I think I mean we've evolved to this and I think just this year size of stadiums is a testament to, to that people aren't just going to watch the game because sometimes you sit so high up you can't really see the game so it's about the experience. <laughs> I know you do something else as a kind of a side gig. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into kind of in-host or in-game host? And I know you also like kind of freelance in that um, realm. So maybe tell us a little bit about like your side hustle as a in-game host.
2: Yeah, so that's actually a really funny story. And I know that what I'm about to tell you will... Um, probably I'll probably see footage of it later on in life. I know someone's going to haunt (laughs) me with that footage, but, uh, a few years ago, our (laughs) OHL team, uh, the host left, um, in the middle towards the end of the season and we were going into playoffs. So there was a bit of a panic that no one was going to be hosting during the game and we were going into playoffs for the first time in a while. So. Previously, months before that, I had volunteered that said, hey, if you ever need someone to like do camera stuff or whatever, like, so, you know, I'm pretty comfortable talking in front of people. And this came up because of another incident earlier. They ended up handing me the mic for that game. I had zero experience in front of the really crowds or announcing or hosting in general. And um, they gave me a script and I read the script. Well, I had memorized the script and then it was <laughs> kind of like the intro before the game. So I had to memorize all these stats and this, this, whatever someone had wrote for me prior to the game and I memorized it. And then I got my camera crew and a camera cue and I'm standing there and I started, you know, saying the script and then I just completely forgot it. I'm not really good at memorizing stuff. <laughs> um, so I ended up announcing on camera that I don't remember what I'm supposed to say. So I'm just going to read off the page I have. So I grabbed my sheet (laughs) and I just started reading this page. So I, whatever, after I was like, I wasn't mortified, but I was like, I was surprised at how much that didn't bother me. Like, I was like, (laughs) well, that's kind of embarrassing, but how funny is that? And then I just realized like how much I enjoyed that rush of like, kind of failing, but like laughing it off. And I'm like, if I can just fail like that in front of everyone and laugh it off, then I think. Like I can do well with this type of stuff. So I was the host for the rest of the season. I was super fortunate. One of my, um, one of my other bosses at the time, Kristen Johnson, uh, Johnson worked as um, her background was TV production, and she was she had recently worked in the production department as well, and that's her forte. So she kept giving me tips. Her daughter was actually the one who was the host before that ended up moving. So. I got lots of tips throughout the way and after hosting hockey I started hosting the soccer games as well. Um we used to own a soccer team and now that team no longer exists but we rent the building out to another one. So I was hosting for that and then anytime an event came in our building I started hosting those games as well. So that's kind of how that started.
0: And I'm just shocked that they invited you back after you didn't read the script. <laughs> well, I did, and I was like, but the
2: thing was, I had realized that I really liked that, but like someone gave me a script to memorize, and
0: you know yeah, me, I that's don't not mind you. talking
2: in front of people. I was like, just if if you let me write down points, I can just you know ad lib forever. Like I can just talk freely, but like know what I'm supposed to say. I can't
0: memorize word for word. That doesn't work for me. It's also just hard to memorize someone else's written word. Like if you Mm -hmm. wrote the same sentence kind of with a couple different words, it's easier to memorize if it's your own. Exactly. So if it would
2: have been probably my own wording, I probably would have done way better. But if it, but it wasn't. So I told them after I was like, I know this was a total fail. I'm like, but I'm determined to like, get better. Like I just, I knew it was a fail. People were probably like, Oh my god, like, who is that like, like, that just doesn't happen. in. that doesn't happen very often. So but I was very determined after that. And it totally did work out in my favor. Like that really is a comfort zone of mine is speaking in front of people and running these events. And I realized doing that, like, I really, I don't get embarrassed very easily at all. And there's moments that I've had that I'm like, wow, that should have embarrassed me, but it, it hasn't. So um, I knew I was on the right track and I started to kind of find a passion within that production side of things and finding ways to entertain the fans um, as much yeah. as I could.
0: And, yeah. and knowing like, I know you personally Bianca but like you are so well suited for for this job um like we're gonna plug your Instagram but people just need to go watch like when you did the um friends dance with the mascot so funny (laughs) like there's so many great things just watching you sample the sandwich of the day all the time (laughs) was made my day um so I Personally, I'm just, you're well suited for it. And I know you do a lot of contract work um, as host, and mainly you've been doing a lot of volleyball stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about like those experiences and, and how you got into sort of that volleyball circuit?
2: <laughs> yeah, so volleyball, there ended up being a VNL tournament for, uh, national. it's basically an international volleyball tournament. It's Volleyball Nations League is what it's called. And they were used, they chose our building as one of the host sites for the event. I had never announced volleyball before. Took a trip down to Nebraska to watch some volleyball. Um, I played volleyball growing up. Mel and I played volleyball in high school together and played competitively. So I was very familiar with volleyball rules, but I didn't really know how the announcing side of that went. Um, So learned from that. And then... I hosted the event in the building and the right people were there watching me really enjoyed what I did. And a few months later, I got invited to by the by the FIVB, the the National Volleyball Federation or the International Volleyball Federation, sorry, to be part in their um, training program. Uh, in Thailand. So what they started doing is that they were taking hosts from around the world, one from every country, and bringing them together to teach them how to post and announce volleyball in a different format than what was previously known in the volleyball world. So what I mean by that is volleyball used to be like first serve number or serving number two, whistle blows, whatever they're serve, and they're like point team Canada, uh, next serve. Like it was <laughs> very, it. yeah, like that was <laughs> so very dry, <laughs> which some, like there's still a lot of sports like that. Fair enough. But then they turned it sure. into like, they took the announcer position and the host position and combined it, which I absolutely love that this sport does. So the entire time I'm announcing it's so casual and there's chance. So before every international game, I, I, explain to people the different types of chants so if you're familiar with volleyball um, at an international level there's an ace chant um, there's a monster block chant which is like a big block and there's a super spike yeah and there's a super spike chant and there's a few other chants so no matter where you go in the world if you're attending an international volleyball tournament whether it's indoor or outdoor or beach you're hearing the exact same chance. So literally to this That's everyone awesome. around the world knows these chants, which is unbelievable. So as a host, not only am I announcing the game and, you know, announcing the players and who's doing what, and I get to actually react to the play. So if it's a really good spike, then I'm saying, you know, super spike and there's a song and there's a dance choreo that goes with it
0: and the whole stadium dances sings. <laughs> This is amazing. I got to go to more volleyball games.
2: <laughs> yeah, like it's actually, it's becoming really? such a fun sport to attend and that's why I love it is that it's not just fans are watching the sport, they're actually a part of the game. Like yeah. the, the fact that I've noticed that I have so much power over the crowd and I could puppeteer the crowd To kind of do whatever I want and bring the level of, you know, um, excitement and whatever to whatever I want is like unbelievable, and it's crazy to see that how that impacts the game and how it impacts the players, and it just makes for such a fun atmosphere. So, yeah, now I travel around the world, um, announcing and hosting volleyball games. I did the VNL that tournament finals in Chicago last year. I went to the Pan Am Games in Lima last summer to announce volleyball for the two weeks. I've done. Beach volleyball. Um I did the Tokyo qualifiers last summer um, as well. So that's just opened a lot of doors for me. Um and definitely not something I ever thought I'd do. <laughs> so I take those side contracts um and use my vacation time from my full time job to go and travel and do some announcing and some hosting.
1: It's amazing. That's so cool. Is there ever any overlap between your full time job? And any of your contracts? There is. Um, So I noticed that last summer where um,
2: I've done a very good job with the staff um, and my department, knowing that I take advantage of vacation that I have. And I've had to ask for some leave of absence time as well to take some of this Mm -hmm. stuff. But they're so supportive. They know that this I'm still working in the same industry. And what I learned from outside in other countries I always bring it back and I always tell them what I've learned and how other people are doing things. So I'm bringing back Mm -hmm. knowledge. So I think that's why they're so flexible with me, but I also have a very good staff that work for me and work with me that I know if I'm gone, I've prepared them for success, which has been huge. And I've kind of learned that over the years, you know, how to lead a team and um, how to make sure that um, like, obviously you're um, you want to make sure you're a good asset to the organization. Um, and not that I want to be replaceable, but I want everyone who works either under me or with me to grow as well. So I have no problem in sharing and developing others and things that I typically would do. i I feel that that's the best way in case something does happen to me or I do go off and do these things. So I have a team that works well when I'm away, and I like super proud of that. Um, and I'm just, yeah, very, I guess fortunate that. Um, OSEG sees this as a good opportunity for me to develop um, in this on this other side gig that I have Um, so yeah just very lucky for all that
1: it's cool to see that there's overlap because on the outside based on how you described your full-time job and your contracts they look so different right one's more working in the background and then this one brings you to the forefront where you're able to like you said like kind of puppeteer the crowd so I'm glad that there, there's an overlap in that for sure. Once you're in those events, animating them and whatnot, you get to see as well how those events are thrown. So that's such valuable knowledge as well that you can bring back. I wanna, um, I wanna touch on how you energize a crowd. That was something Mel and I were <laughs> talking about before because I'm sure that you know the way you describe what you do in volleyball must be maybe a little different than how you do in Ottawa 67. Game. So can you kind of talk about those two experiences and compare and contrast them? For
2: sure. Uh the first part of like hockey, I would say, I don't have a lot of opportunities like I do in a volleyball game to energize the crowd. I have at the beginning of the game and I have during intermissions and sometimes TV timeouts. So right. it, the crowd doesn't hear me on a consistent v- basis and I'm not present on a consistent basis. So I really have to utilize my time strategically when I am on a mic. And when I do show face to interact with them, I found that based off our fan base, the more casual I am on the mic and the more I'm interacting with them and kind of joke around, I always include the mascot because there's a lot of kids. So Mm -hmm. I have conversations with the mascot, even though obviously the mascot's not responding. Kids love that stuff. So And like (laughs) Mel saw that little dance that I did with the mascot, like I've become pretty I would say knowledgeable and that's because of my full-time job of knowing crowds and understanding the type of fan bases that are within the crowds, how to entertain them and to appeal to the majority of the fan base that are that are there and that are present. But like I said, we have a lot of kids during hockey games. So I try and do things that will entertain kids and um, parents will appreciate so that their child actually maybe sits in the seat and doesn't go run around and um, (laughs) you know, kind of wanders off. So like, I'm thinking of myself as more of like an entertainment babysitting service while I'm on the ice for hockey games. Um, and then I would say for volleyball games, um, it's been different for me because I do travel around the world. Not every culture reacts the same way to certain things. And I have to keep in mind, too, that when I'm entering a different country for fan experience, um, sometimes they don't speak English. So I have no Clue who understands me in the crowd. So I really have to utilize, you know, expression and when I'm on camera to be animated. And I love to dance. I grew up dancing. So I have no problem, like, you know, interacting with the crowd and going into it and like being one with the crowd. Um, And I think showing that I'm excited about the event and being part and including myself with the fans in those cases is best case scenario. Um, when I'm outside of country, um, the one thing that I noticed within Canada, let's say, while I'm announcing, especially volleyball is that we're very polite and proper country. So if I tell you to get loud, you're not going to do it unless I specify how you're going to get loud, that I want you to stand up, that I want you to clap your hands and I want you to sing this song. So (laughs) in Canada, we really need direction to like get to do something. Um, Whereas if you go to a country uh, like when I was in Lima in Peru, the crowd was basically up and cheering the whole time because that's just the nature of their cultures to be singing and dancing and, you know, doing whatever. And half of them probably aren't paying attention to the game, but they were already doing that. So when I started (laughs) playing a song, they just naturally joined in, whereas in Canada, we're not there yet. Um, I don't know if we ever will be. So it's really knowing to how the culture is going to react to the different things that you do. Um, and knowing that for instance what songs people like to to be entertained by like music is such a huge piece of it and when I do these events I always get to know the DJ and I always check out what songs he's thinking of playing or they're thinking of playing how we can interact in terms of like songs that will get people up and dancing or songs that'll like set the tone for different things so I work very closely with the DJ as well as the producer when there's promos or we have to throw stuff at the crowd or we have to announce who the sponsor is for so-and-so. So it's a bit of like a juggling act during the event to make sure that one, the sponsors are happy, two, that the crowd is following the flow that I wanted to. And if they're not following me, I have to follow them. So If they're really quiet, I can't just play a huge pump up song because it's going (laughs) to be really awkward because they're not at that level yet. So I have to figure out how to gradually get them to that level if I want them to get there. You got to build them. (laughs) Yes, 100%. So and I think that's purely because of my full time job where I was so used to analyzing crowds and how they reacted and what their interactions were that this that has totally helped me get to a, a really good level and feeling comfortable doing what I am as a host because I can read a crowd really well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's made you just more in tune with sort of the the, the vibe of, of the event or the, I don't know, stadium, whatever it is. And I just want to say, I can attest that Bianca is an excellent dancer. We used to dance together back in the day.
1: <laughs> I was did. terrible
0: <laughs> at dancing and this is why I switched to hockey. But there uh, is this gives you an example, okay? Bianca was, like, center, front stage. I was basically back corner behind the curtain. And then the next year, she moved up a class, and then I ended up quitting, like, two
1: years later.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we all find our niches.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: There's a really... part of me wants to see Mel entertain a crowd. I have a feeling it's, it'll work. I could entertain a crowd. Uh, you totally. I would, totally be, I would
0: just be girl. a bad dancer, <laughs> like so. The back to this friends dance thing. I don't know. So, is who who is the friends character that's dancing in the show? Is it Monica? It's it's yeah.
2: It's Monica and, it's Monica and, Ross. and Ross. It's a brother yeah, and sister they're dance. Kind
0: of, they're kind of like bad at dancing. So Bianca's like texting us in her group. She's like, "It's really hard. I have to like practice to be bad at it." Oh, I was like, "Oh, I would excel at this dance." <laughs>
2: I had to pretend to be awkward. I'm like, I'm,
0: I'm too technically trained for this right now. I'm too technically trained. That was amazing. But Bianca, we're just about at our end of time. I just want to thank you for joining us. I think everyone's going to enjoy this episode just because it's a really different part of what sports is, but a really important part. And personally, I finally know what you do, so I can could, I could explain it a little bit better. <laughs> But, and it was so nice to chat and I'll see you soon because I'm going back to Welland um, and uh, we'll be able to hang out. But thank you so much for joining us, Bianca.
2: It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Ballado Quebec and sometimes we're even on YouTube so check that out as well at Away From The Play podcast.
0: Show us some love on Facebook and Instagram at Away From The Play and also on Twitter you can find us at at Mel underscore and underscore Sass.
1: You can also follow us individually on Twitter at Sass underscore on the go and Mel at Mel The Rock.
0: Special thanks to Matthew Brutus for the awesome music in our intro and Naimaloof for our brand new logo. You can also give them a follow on Instagram.
1: I will definitely see you next week.